We're just going to jump right into our last sermon in this series. I'll try to get the announcements in a minute. Um, This little string backpack represents Doug's life. Everybody sees that, right? Every one of us, let's look at observation number one. Observation number one is all of us depend on it to fill us up. What is it? Well, back when I was uh, graduating from high school, I decided to go to Baylor University. This is one of the things that I thought would help fill up my life. And today is a great day to be a Baylor University basketball fan if you like women's basketball because we're in the national championship. Our girls are better than your girls. And I hope they're the best, but okay, whatever. Um, it's, a great, it's a great weekend to be a Texas Tech alum, right? Because they're in the national championship too, but our girls are better than your boys. Um, after college, my mom worried all the time I was in high school and in college that I was going to get married before I got out of high school, that I was going to get married before I got out of college. And then all of a sudden she got worried I wasn't getting married at all because there wasn't, anyway. So when I, when I found Janie and when I introduced her to my family, that was actually the last straw. She, she knew it, but I didn't tell her that. That was like, if you don't pass this test. And so we were all crammed in a 15 passenger van going to San Antonio, Texas. And I felt confident she was going to pass the test, but she passed the test and I put Janie in my life. Um, then we, we had kids. We had three kids and now we have grandkids. I love my kids, but they ain't nothing like grandkids, right? Waylon is awesome. Last week they were watching the service and he said that Waylon was going, Papa, hey, Papa, look, Papa. He's trying to get me to pay attention while I'm preaching last week. We talked to him on um, FaceTime and, and it's just awesome. We're going to get him today. And so, you know, not much else matters because I get to go hang out with Waylon and he fills up my life. Now my job is New Life Community Church. So I put that in there. I'm going to put that in my life. And 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 every one of us has something, it, that we put in our life. And and if it comes through, observation number two, if it comes through, life is good. What if it doesn't come through? Life is bad. There's anxiety. There's fear. There can even be depression because we, we, we depend on the wrong things. And none of those things are bad that I put in my life. But if I'm depending on them to come through 100% of the time, I'm going to be severely disappointed. So the key to life is to find something or someone that comes through 100% of the time. And Hannah has this, this Christian song that says 100, I can't even do it. I can't even do rap. 100, and that means 100% of the time God's coming through. So some of y'all can do that. Um, some of y'all are cooler than me uh, with hip hop music. Um, the key to life is find someone, Jesus Christ. God is faithful. That's what we're talking about today when we finish up this series. So I want to talk about real quickly how God shows his faithfulness to us. And the first thing is history, is his story. When I was a kid, my favorite song before I even went to kindergarten was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I was convinced that it said, then one froggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright. I thought if you had frogs all over the place, you needed a red-nosed reindeer. I'm not making this up. And then at the end of the song, it says, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in his story. I didn't know it was one word till I got older. It's two words. That's what I thought they were singing. And at first I thought it was Santa Claus's story, but then no, I went to church and they said, history is his story. And so I'm like, Rudolph, you're a part of his story. Right? Okay. I was, I had a really creative imagination as a kid. Well, here's what I want to talk about today is God's faithfulness to his creations with an S plural with an S. There are several things that God has created and he shows his faithfulness to it. First is, is creation. I want to read to you from Psalm 119 verses 89 and, eight and 90. 
Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. The second thing he created, one of his creations, is Israel, which is his people. They did not exist until God chose one man over in the Middle East and told him to go to a land that he would show him. He didn't even know where he was going. Look what God says to this man, first named Abraham, Abram, later named Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you I will, and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be best, blessed through you. So some dude who's 75 years old, who's not even living in what is now Israel, God says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Really? This guy goes to what we now call Israel. He lives in a tent. He's a shepherd. He's got zero children and he's 75 years old. God says, I'm gonna make you great in all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Really? Because I, he doesn't have any kids. 24 years later, now after he already had a kid out of, out, out of the wedlock thing, um, and he said, can this be the one? And God says, no, that's not the one. I told you I'm gonna give you a child and you're gonna, I'm gonna bless all the nations. At 99 years old, God shows up and says, you're gonna have a son next year at this time. His wife is, is 90. And so when he's 100, she's 90, 91, they have a kid. I'm 54 and I can't imagine having a child at 54. 99, are you kidding me? This is God's plan? Here we are about 4,000 plus years later. Not only is Israel prominent and Israel is a land, there are Jews throughout the, the world. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. He established Israel and he said, you will stand. Another thing he created is the church and we're a part of that. Now, this is his family and, and I, want to, I want you to see what Jesus said to Peter and to the followers in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome, overcome it. That means hell or the, the spiritual forces of darkness will not overcome the church. Really? Because if you looked at the 12 people that Jesus chose, one of them betrayed him. He doesn't even make it to the beginning of the church. He hangs himself. And then it's this motley crew of people, 11 people. He says, not only that, you're going to go all over the world and you're going to spread the news about really these 11 people because they're in Jerusalem. And somehow these 11 become 120. And then Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. They're stuck in an upper room hiding because they're afraid of the Jews and they're supposed to go to all nations. Jesus goes back to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people become Christians that day. So all of a sudden you've got 3,120 Christians. And there's, then there's this thing called the great dispersion where Jews were persecuted or actually Christians, Jews were persecuted. They were scattered all over the known world. And then when God told them to go and make disciples, they started going to these places where there were synagogues all over the known world and starting telling people about Jesus. And today, over 2 billion people claim to be Christ followers. 2 billion people from 11. How can that happen? Because God is faithful. And God said, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I think you see in history, all kinds of nations have tried to wipe out Israel. All kinds of nations have tried to wipe out Christianity, make it illegal, but it still stands. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful to this church. There's been a number of times that, that I thought this church could not go on. Um, back in 2007, we were in the old building downtown and we had a, a really, really rough thing happen in our church. And so we had to do uh, some things. We had to confront some people and go through some stuff. And it was so bad that we, we canceled band. We didn't have a band for three months. Now, I don't know if you understand about what music means to our church, but for three months, we had, all we did on Sunday mornings was we showed up, we had round tables in our own old building and we would have some kind of crowd breaker games. And then I would do some teaching. They'd do some discussion. We'd do some teaching. People said, that's the quickest way to 
kill your church. Janie called me before all this happened. Janie calls me. I'm, I'm out of town. She goes, uh, you need to know what happened. And I said, our church is done. New Life Community Church will not survive. The next, I was up all night. The next day, my brother and I are going to do some work. And he said, he goes, what's wrong? And I said, I told him and I said, we're done. New life's done. We might as well close the doors. And he goes, how big is your God? I said, well, he's pretty big. You know, big brother. He goes, what are you supposed to do? And I said, well, here's what the scripture says. He said, well, get off your rear and do what the scripture says. I said, okay. So we came back and we did that. For three months, we just kept growing little by little. And then we started band back up. And, and all, I tell you all of that because in, in June of 2007, I thought our church was done. We're in an old building. We've looked at every building we could find in, in the city of Palestine to try to, to purchase. In 2007, we're done. Six months later, we purchased this skating rink. Six months after I thought we were done, God proved himself faithful. We bought this place. And who knew at that moment that not only would God provide this building, but 2.1 acres and then another 2.5 acres and then 38 acres back there. 12 years ago, we thought we were done. And and yet here we are with almost 43 acres and and 12,000 square feet of space in this building. And and we're debt-free and we're planning to build another building someday because God is faithful. And if you follow him, the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Look what it says in in Numbers 23. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? And the answer is what? No, never. If God says it, you can count on it. Second way we can see God's faithfulness is in his son. Most of the New Testament is about Jesus coming the first time. And when Jesus came the first time, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not come to judge. You get to Revelation, the book of Revelation, and you see that he comes as righteous judge. And when you see this in Revelation 19, 11, John sees this vision. He said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. His name in, in the Hebrew culture, someone's name that what you called them reflected their character. So he said, the one Jesus who's sitting on this white horse, his name is faithful and true with justice. He judges and wages war when he comes back and he's coming back because God has never said anything that has not happened. If we can look at the old Testament, we can look at the new Testament, all the things that have already happened. We have confidence that, that this is going to happen soon because God is faithful. Number three, God's faithfulness can seen, can be seen in his word in the Bible. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. We've seen some rain, right? In the last 24, actually almost 36 hours, we've seen a lot of rain. And he says, just like the rain comes down from the heavens and waters the earth. Look what he says. They cause the rains and the snow cause grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. He says, just like in the natural world, this stuff comes down and, and growth comes from it. He says, it is the same with my word. I will send it out. It will always produce fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. If God says it, you can bank on it. It's going to happen. Why? Because his son's name is faithful. The father is faithful. Number four, we can see God's faithfulness and how he shapes our lives. And we're going to spend a little time 
on this. And, and I've done a whole series on this before, so let me just fly through this. Go ahead and put that up there, Bobby. There, there are five things we believe God uses to shape you, and they're, they're going to be listed, so you don't have to write these down yet. The first one is spiritual gifts, um, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. Even if you have the same spiritual gift, your, your passion for life is going to be different. Your personality may be different, and I guarantee your experiences are going to be different than mine. Nobody has exactly the same. God uses these five things to shape you for one purpose, that is to bring glory to his name and to bring people into his kingdom. So let's look at this real quickly. Um, Spiritual gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. If you're not a Christ follower, you do not have spiritual gifts because they come from the Holy Spirit. If you have a, if you are a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. And look what Paul says in first Corinthians 12, one. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wasn't calling them stupid. He was saying, you don't understand about spiritual gifts. So I'm about to teach you. If you read first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, you'll have a really good overview of what spiritual gifts are. If you don't know your spiritual gift, then you're ignorant about it. Paul says, quit being ignorant, read these chapters and you'll learn something about it. Then look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, actually before this. He says, people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the spirit can understand what the spirit means. What that means is if you are not a Christ follower, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. You do not have any capacity to understand spiritual things unless God reveals that. And you do not have a spiritual gift because you don't have the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to this. All right. So here's my life. When I was six years old, I prayed to receive Christ. I I knew I was a sinner. I walked down the aisle and I prayed and I said, Jesus, will you forgive my sins and lead my life? When I was 18, because I had all kinds of doubts, I prayed again, God, please forgive my sin. So that's the moment. I think when I was six, it actually happened. God entered my life. Now, the Bible says that once once you ask Christ to come into your life, He also sends something called the Holy Spirit. We're just talking about that. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. So know Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you have Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit at that moment. Now, the Holy Spirit comes with housewarming gifts, at least one. We call them spiritual gifts. He brings those and he puts those in your life. And as you cooperate with God's Holy Spirit in your life, you begin to grow spiritually. You begin to understand more things spiritually. My son, my grandson, Waylon, is, is two years old. Can he understand quantum physics right now? No, and he may not have the math gene, so he may never be able to understand quantum physics The point is, as he grows and matures, he'll be able to chase after those things that capture his interest. As a a Christian grows and cooperates with God's Holy Spirit inside them, they get more and more capacity to understand spiritual things. This duffel bag, if it doesn't, or this this backpack, if if you do not have Christ in your life, you cannot have any spiritual capacity to communicate with God or to receive supernatural insights from God. The prerequisite to hear from God and communicate with God is the Holy Spirit living in your life. And the only prayer he'll hear from someone who's a non-Christian is, God, I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? God says, yes. At that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Now, that's spiritual gifts. Heart. Heart is the real you. The Bible represents or uses the heart to represent the center of your mind, your will, your emotions, your interests. Since God created you and knows you better than you know yourself, he has given you some, some things in your, he, he will give you some things in your life that will give you meaning and purpose. Look what Psalm 37, four says, do what the Lord wants. So you make him first and he will give you your heart's desire. Your heart determines what you say, feel, 
and act. Why you say those things, why you say, feel, and act the way you do. That's what your heart determines. So God gave you your heart. He gave you things that you're passionate about, but you have a choice whether to use your heart for evil things or for the things of God. It's your choice. So Samuel, the the prophet, was talking to the nation of Israel, and he said these words, serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your passion, not with part of it. Now, the third thing is abilities. Um, Abilities are from God. We believe God knits us together in our mother's womb. That's what Psalm 139 says. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe. And your your natural abilities are given to you at that moment that you're conceived and, and God is knitting you together. Because your natural abilities are from God, they are just as spiritual as your spiritual gifts. The difference is you get your natural talents and abilities at birth. You get your spiritual gifts and abilities when you are born again as a Christian. Fourth thing that God uses to shape you is your personality. And we are not talking about attitude here. How many of you, when you were a teenager, you needed regular attitude adjustments on the top of your head? Or on your backside or something, right? Okay. How many of you who have children can testify that children need regular attitude adjustments? Okay, we're not talking about attitude, which can change. We're talking about personality, which is hardwired into you. And I want you to see this in Paul's life. Paul, before he became a Christian, was a fanatic against Christianity. Look what it says in Galatians 1.13. You have been told how I used to live when I was devoted to the Jewish religion, how I persecuted without mercy the church of God and did my best to destroy it. He wanted to kill people uh, rather than let them become Christians. I was ahead of most other Jews of my age in my practice of the Jewish religion and was much more devoted. No, 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 I wasn't just devoted. I was much more devoted. I was the most religious of the people to the traditions of our ancestors. So he was running around trying to get Christianity stamped out before it ever got started. He had, he would put Christians in jail. Don't you talk about this. I'll put you in jail. And then one time Stephen, who was one of the first deacons is stoned to death. Now, Paul wasn't going to throw the stones himself. Actually, they pick up rocks and they threw it at him till, till he died. Paul wasn't going to do that. So he stands there and he says, Oh, let me hold your coats while you other guys throw rocks at him until he dies. So he was approving killing one of the first deacons simply because he was a Christ follower. That's how fanatical his personality was against Christianity. Look what happens when he meets God, verse 15. But God in his grace chose me even before I was born. Again, another one of those indications that God has a purpose for your life before you're ever born and called me to serve him. And when he decided to reveal his son to me so that I might preach the good news about him, afterward, I went to places in Syria and Cilicia. At that time, the members of the churches in Judea did not know me personally. They knew only what others were saying. They knew what they'd heard. Here's what they'd heard. The man who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. So the guy who was a fanatic against us, he's now joined us. Only God can do something like that. And then look what happens. And so they praised God because of me. The guy who'd been so devoted against Christianity was now devoted to spread Christianity everywhere. And the result was glory to God. You have a personality given to you by your heavenly father. And it's not, he's not going to change your personality when you get into church. Janie is not going to preach. She said she'd rather vomit than be in front of you. I'm not going to do the things she does. It's, God's going to transform your, your focus and your purpose to do what he wants you to do. That's what he does with your personality. Okay, those four things. Now, I wanna talk about experiences as we finish up. We've got just a few more minutes. 
You learned good and bad things growing up in your family, and we're not going to spend any time right now sharing the good or the bad. You can do that later. But some people are stuck in their past. They've never gotten over their past. God wants to use your past to help you connect with other people. And he's going to use vocation, family. He's going to use education. But what I really want to focus on today in our last few minutes is painful experiences. God will use painful experiences to help you connect with someone who is far from God. And if you'll let him, that connection will let you lead them to Christ. See, look what it says in, in Proverbs twenty thirty. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Can anybody testify? Sometimes it took a painful experience. It may take um, a heart attack to get you to change your diet and, and exercise, whatever it is. It, the Bible is so real. Sometimes it, it has to hurt before we'll change. And God allows that. Why? Because your character gets changed in weakness. This is big. It's this last category, painful experiences that God's going to use to prepare you for ministry. God never wastes a hurt. I want you to say that out loud. God never wastes a hurt. Say that. Say it like you mean it. Your greatest ministry will come from your greatest regret. That thing that you're embarrassed about, if you will share that, God will use that in a way that brings honor and glory to his name. That is your ministry, your regrets. But in order for God to use them, you have to be willing to share them. Look what 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says. God wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. When you humbly admit your, your hurts, your habits, and your hangups, the walls that other people have around their heart drop and your hearts are connected together. That's the way God does things. And, and so many people will, will stand up, just had this happen this week. I was in a group of men and, and, and this one man started speaking in a way and, and that just drew attention to himself. And every other man, I looked because I thought, I'm uncomfortable with what's being said right now. So I looked around and all the other men in the room did this. Because the guy was going, look at me, look at me. And this is this, look at me. And I was going, I need to get out of here. I'm looking at my watch. I'm trying to think, Janie, call me, tell me to come home, you know. Whatever it is, because bragging about something doesn't cause somebody to come near you. It's when you open up about your hurts, your habits, and your hangups that God tears down the walls. Shared, shared experiences encourage others. Forgotten experiences are worthless. God's not going to waste your hurt, but, but Satan will tempt you to try to forget those things because they're worthless in the kingdom of God. The Bible is this collection of real people with real hurts, real problems who trusted in a real God. And those who trusted in God in the midst of their pain and their suffering become heroes of the Bible. Those people who refuse to admit they're sinful or that they even have problems become zeros in the Bible. The choice is yours. Do you want to be a hero in the kingdom of God or do you want to be a zero in the kingdom of God? To be a hero, you have to open up, you have to share your painful experiences. And it makes me think about Joseph. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he's second in command, they're, they're desperate, they need food, and what does he say? Genesis fifty twenty. he says, you guys meant this to harm me, but God meant it for good. If you'll share your struggles, God will use that for his good. Now, the Apostle Paul had some type of weakness. We don't know what it is. People have been arguing for thousands of years about what it was. But here's what I want you to see. He asked God, he begged God three times to remove this physical problem. And look what happens in 2 Corinthians 12. 
Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. How would, I don't know if you've ever prayed for something and God's just either silent or you read this verse. My grace is all you need. No, 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 God, I need you. My grace is all you need. God, please remove it. My grace is all you need. <laughs> my power works best in weakness. I don't like weakness. Now look what he says. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. How many of you said... I'm boasting about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work in me. Wait, wait, wait. This is different than what the world says. I've got to admit weakness. I've got to boast my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So look what Paul says. That's why I take pleasure. That word means I take delight in. Woo! More weakness. Yes! Look what he says. In my weaknesses, we, we, we saw this in our video last week in small groups. Weaknesses, plural. In insults, plural, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boast in my weaknesses. Because the Bible also says that pride goes before the fall. And those people that beat their chests and say, look at me they will fall. Paul says, no, man, I'm going to glory in God because this life is temporary. Second Timothy, he's talking to Timothy, who's a pastor. And he says this, always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. We're talking to Christians here. If we are unfaithful, this is remarkable. He remains what? Wait, wait, you need to hear this. If we are unfaithful, he remains what? How many of you have been unfaithful to the Lord? He remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about such things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. He's saying, quit arguing over stuff that doesn't even matter. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin the lives who hear them. And then I love what, what he says through Jeremiah. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. If you want to have the type of life that others look at and they say, that person was a servant of God, you have to realize God is faithful. People are unfaithful. And you have to trust in his faithfulness. And then it says your, your roots will be like a tree that is planted, deep roots. And it doesn't matter if the sun, scorching sun comes up. It doesn't matter if there's some tornado coming. That tree stands. Why? Because that tree is powerful? No, because the one who planted it is powerful and faithful. And he says, I will take care of you. This week, Janie was talking to some folks and she said this in front of me and it was, it's one of the greatest compliments I've ever heard. She said, Doug is faithful to me. I know that. But to hear my wife say that was so powerful. I wanna, I wanna be the type of man 
that if, I, if I'm married as long as my parents, my parents were married 67 years before they died in the car wreck. And if God allows me to be there for 67 years with Janie, I want at 67 years, I want her to say, Doug has always been faithful to me and faithful to his God. Those are the two things that matter more than anything in the world to me. Faithful to my God, faithful to my wife. Everything else will take care of itself. Circumstances do not have the power to define your life. Only God has that power. So, so admit your weaknesses, admit your, your struggles, trust in the faithful God, the one whose name is faithful. And when you do that, he's going to use his word, he's going to connect you with people, and you're going to change the world. And I want to finish this series with, with this quote from uh, Hudson Taylor, but let me tell you who Hudson Taylor was. At 21, Actually, when he was a kid, he said, I think I'm going to go to China. His parents had been praying for him that he would be a missionary to China. So at age 21, without knowing the language, anything, he gets on this sailboat and it takes him five months to get to the country of China. And he goes in and he starts, um, he starts witnessing to people. It takes forever for him to get some converts. And he actually gets tired of the organization. He said, no, 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 we're doing this wrong. So he actually grew a ponytail. He started dressing like the Chinese people. He began to learn all this stuff. He gets sick at one point. He goes back to England. He begins translating the Bible into, I think it was Mandarin, at least the Chinese language where he was that didn't exist. He learned how to become a midwife so that he could go back and help deliver children. And then he recruited over his lifetime, he spent 50 something years in China, 800 missionaries he was directly responsible for training and, and launching in China. 125 schools were started in China through his organization and 18,000 Chinese people came to Christ because of a 21-year-old named Hudson Taylor who decided to go to China. Here's what he said. Our heavenly father is a very experienced one. I love that. He knows how to be a dad. He's been doing it longer than we've been alive. He's a very experienced father. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained 3 million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send 3 million missionaries to China, but if he did he would have ample means to sustain them all, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. If this represents your life and you're putting certain things in your life, let me, let me give you this caution as we finish this series. You will become like the people you hang out with the most. If the people you hang out with um, do not like their marriages, they talk about their spouse, they are negative, you know what's going to come out of you just because you're, you've been around that? Negativity, not liking your spouse, you're going to start looking at people, you're going to be critical. If, however, you spend most of your time with people who are running fast after God, they are pursuing God with all they have, you know what's going to happen in your life? Whether you even know it or not, you're going to be pulled along with them towards Christ. And if you hang out with people that all they want to do is, is gather rocks, like the Pharisees who, who stoned Stephen, and if all they're doing is watching for people to make mistakes so that they can pull out a rock and begin throwing rocks at them, you know what you're going to be like? You're going to be just like them. So what are you going to choose to fill your life with? Remember we talked a couple of weeks about, ago about even Christians will stand before God and, and our 
Everything that we do as Christians will be tested with fire. And if we built with gold and silver and precious jewels, it will remain and you get a reward. But if you build with with wood and and hay and stubble, it's going to be burned up. You won't lose your salvation, but you will lose reward. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, when you stand before God, I, I just read about this this morning in Revelation 19. Jesus will actually open up the Lamb's book of life. And it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. God doesn't send people to hell. They choose it by rejecting the faithful and true one who's coming on that white horse someday. You need to meet him before he comes on the white horse. Let's pray together. Father, I I, want to be found faithful to you. I want to be found faithful to my wife. And God, I, I pray that that regardless of how long New Life Community Church, how long it is before you come back, I pray that New Life Community Church would stand faithful here on this hill and we would be a light in the darkness of people who do not know you. God, help us learn what it means to be faithful to you. Help us to appreciate your faithfulness to us and change our character, Lord, and use our painful experiences to bring glory to your name and to bring people into the kingdom of God. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.